We're in the Identity Series, and our theme for this series has been what? I am who the I am. Okay, you got it. Come on, say it with me. I am who the I am says I am. And through this series, we've looked at a lot of Bible names, hadn't we? Gideon named himself weak, but God called him a warrior. Naomi, which means pleasant, she named herself Mara, which means bitter. But God restored her to who he created her to be, and she got her sweetness back. Because somebody, you can get your sweetness back. <laughs> God blessed Abram, Abram, and he became Abraham. God blessed Jacob, and Jacob became Israel. There's power in a name. That's why I hope your mama didn't name you hashtag. But even if she did, God could give you a new name. Today we're looking at two names in the Bible, Ichabod and Ebenezer. And no, I'm not talking about Ichabod Crane or Ebenezer Scrooge. Many people don't realize those names actually come from the Bible, and they're both found in 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel 4, it says this, that Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. And at this point, the people of God, the Israelites, they didn't have Jerusalem. David conquered Jerusalem. At this point, they worshipped at a place called Shiloh. But notice the wording of verse 3. Notice what they said in their hearts in 1 Samuel 4, 3. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. That sounds good, right? But pay close attention to this, that when it comes, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. This is how far from God Israel had fallen. Rather than praying and seeking the Lord, they used the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm. Oh, I pray that we would never use God as a good luck charm, church. I pray that we would never throw a Bible in the back seat and equate that to safety, or that we would never just show up to church and equate that to holiness. By bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the battle, the Israelites saw that they could force the blessing of God on what they were doing. I think about a flight attendant who was being hit on by two very, uh, shall we say, intoxicated and obnoxious men on the same flight. One was sitting in first class and one was in the back in coach, and both of them were relentless in their flirtations and getting more aggressive with every pass. Finally, as the pilot was making the final approach, the man in first class handed the flight attendant uh, a key to his penthouse apartment, and he said, my apartment's next to the airport. Meet me at 8 o'clock. He gave her a little note, city at 8 p.m. Had the address written all there and everything. You know what she did? She took it and immediately walked to, back to coach to the man who had been hitting on her the whole flight. She handed him the key, handed him the note, and did some work. <laughs> when you try to force your will on God, you're going to end up like those two men at 8 p.m., 
very, very disappointed. <laughs> to some people at the time, it seemed spiritual that the Israelites were bringing up the Ark of the Covenant, but in reality, they weren't seeking God. They were arrogantly trying to force their own way. You see, they had already made up their mind they won't go into battle. Y'all see that? They didn't say, Lord, shall we fight? They say, we're going to fight. Let's get God on board. Rather than seeking God's will, they decided to do something religious, hoping that God would bless what they wanted to do. And we're doing the same thing today. Come on, you know you're not doing right. You know you're not. You know you're living in sin, but you know something spiritually and here and there, thinking this will somehow make everything work. I know my doctor said this food will kill me, but at least I prayed before I ate that doesn't go back. I know I'm cheap people out of money in my business, but at least I give to the church. I know it's wrong that we're sleeping together, but at least we pray before we go to bed. Yeah, you're not living for God. You're living for yourself, sugar. And don't think for a minute that God's going to bless it. We do what we want to do, then we wave our Bible like a magic wand and make that somehow a holy God is going to bless what we're doing. How far have we fallen from the truth? Israelites sent for the Ark of the Covenant, hoping it would help them in battle. Verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring it from there to the, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Notice who was bringing the Ark. Two people who had no business even touching the Ark. Bible says that Hophni and Phineas had no regard for the Lord. They were vile and wicked men. They were supposed to be priests, but instead of serving God, they defiled the sacrifices offered by the people and even slept with some of the women who came to Shiloh to worship. The sons of the high priest were abusing their power and abusing God's people. Israel was in a backslidden state. But look at verse 5. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. They had church. Listen, I love to be in the atmosphere of praise. I love to celebrate and worship God and get loud. When I grew up in church, we only had one volume level, and that was all the way up. Okay, when we get to heaven, it's going to be a loud place. And I love that kind of atmosphere, but there's a difficult truth found here in 1 Samuel. You can shout and be loud and praise God, but when you're not living right, it's all just noise. Jesus said it like this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Israel had the noise, and they had the hype, and they had the musicians and the singers, but there's one thing they didn't have, and that was the presence of God. They made a lot of noise, but God was not in it. Verse 10, so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. It was a devastating loss. Not only did God not bless their plans, but they lost seven times more men than they did the first fight. The Ark of the Covenant was captured by the enemy, and their so-called priests were killed. 
They sent a messenger to Shiloh to go to Eli, the high priest, to report on the battle. Verse 16, Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. Eli said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great slaughter among the people, and your two sides are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for forty years. Eli was heartbroken that Israel had lost the battle, that 30,000 men had been killed. He was devastated that his sons had died. And when he heard that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken, it was more than he could bear, and he fell back and died. Next verse, 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the Ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. This child's name was an indictment over the nation of Israel. Ichabod means the glory has departed. That was their spiritual state. Ichabod, the glory, is gone. The presence of God is gone. The power of God is gone. And the church in America, for the large part, is in an Ichabod condition today. We're no longer effective. We don't have the influence that we used to have. We don't have the respect that we used to have. We don't have the power and the glory of God that we used to have. Our nation has been in a time of crisis, but instead of preaching the hope of Jesus Christ, we're fighting over whether or not you should wear a mask. Let me tell you something. When you stand before the judgment seat of God, He's not going to ask you if you were vaccinated or unvaccinated. He's not going to ask you if you wore a mask or didn't wear a face mask. He's not going to ask you if you were registered Democrat or Republican. He's going to ask you one thing and one thing only. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? There are only two categories of people, and it's not the unvaccinated and the vaccinated. It's the saved and the lost. It's those who have been rescued and those who have been more perishing. It's those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. And nothing is more important than that. But you wouldn't believe it if you look at a lot of churches these days. When American denominations are more concerned over whether they can put a homosexual in church leadership and support the LGBTQ agenda rather than teaching young people their God-given, God-created identity, the glory has departed. True Ichabod is not when the glory has left your finances. True Ichabod is not when the glory has left the economy or the government. True Ichabod is when the people of God are no longer hungry for the things of God, the presence of God, and the Word of God. 
See, the glory of God had departed Israel long before that day. People responded to the political climate and the moral climate of America, saying that the spirit of Ichabod has come upon this nation. Let me tell you something. All the fighting over politics and race and COVID-19, they are all symptoms of a deeper issue. The real problem is that the people of God have lost their passion for the God that they claim to serve. Instead of seeking the glory of God, we're running after the glory of man. We're seeking the blessing rather than the blesser. We're seeking the hand of God rather than the face of God. We've made Christianity more about giving stuff than serving God. We've relegated the church to nothing more than a social club, a place to be entertained, when it ought to be a house of prayer and a hospital for the hurting soul. This nation has declined because the church has declined. As goes the house of God, so goes the nation. The answer to moral decline in this nation is not another politician, not another political party. It's not new legislation. The answer to decline in this nation is for the people of God to humble themselves and pray and repent of their sins and seek the glory of the living God once again. Israel was experiencing Ichabod. The glory was gone. The Philistines have captured the Ark of the Covenant. Let me tell you this. Our God, the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of all things, has never been the victim of kidnapping. The Philistines had the Ark of God and they thought that they had really done something. But hear this, you don't play with the things of God. You don't mess around with the glory of God. You don't mock the power of God. The Philistines treated the ark as a common thing, and they opened the lid, and they started going through it. You know what happened? God cursed them. The Philistines, <laughs> the Bible says they got hemorrhoids from the pit of hell. When you play church, when you live in the world, Monday through Saturday, and then you play church on Sunday, when you make a mockery of God, you will not walk away from that untouched. It will damage every part of you, especially the intimate and the unseen parts of your life. That's why you don't play around with God. You play church, it's going to bite you in the backside. Y'all remember that, ain't you? Don't be like the Philistines, <laughs> walking light on the toes. You don't play around with God's glory. He brought a curse on the Philistines and he allowed Israel to experience the consequences of sin. Some of you may have experienced Ichabod in your own life where you've given yourself completely over to the pleasures of sin. Only to find out that the pleasures of sin are brief and they give way to the pain and the penalties of sin. Maybe that's where you are right now. Guess what? It doesn't have to end that way. Eventually, something begins to happen in Israel. The Bible says that the people's hearts began to long for God. Samuel called a meeting of the people at a place called Mitzvah. And it was there Samuel told them, If you repent of your sins and get rid of the idols and serve the Lord only, He will deliver you. It's very simple. The message is clear. It's not difficult to understand, but it's the message that people don't want to hear, but it's the only message they need to hear. 
Israel had experienced the spirit of Ichabod. The glory of God had departed. They fell into the consequences of sin. They were slaves to the, to the Philistines. Not only that, but they were worshiping the Philistine gods. The people began to realize in their hearts, we want the glory of God. This is not us. This is not where I want to be. This is not how I want to live. You see, when you know the God of hosts, you don't need a host of other gods. Daniel said, if we repent, if you'll turn away from sin and worship God, only the glory of God will come and God will restore you. Two things happened in Mitzvah. Prayer and repentance. There has never been a revival that didn't start with those two things. Pray and repent from sin. If you are in a season of Ichabod in your life and you desperately want the glory of God back, that's your winning ingredients right there. Pray and repent. Pray and repent. Pray and repent. You cannot miss it. Pray and repent. Seek God again. Things seem bad in our nation now, but guess what? They've been bad before. Plenty of times. Many people don't realize this, but in the 20 years following the American Revolution, this nation fell into deep moral decline. Alcoholism had gripped the nation. In a nation of just five million people, 300,000 were confirmed alcoholics. Alcoholism was claiming more than 15,000 lives a year. When you consider that, based on the population, then that's higher than the death rate from drugs and alcohol today. In the years following the revolution, there was a movement of profanity and vulgarity like never before. We're seeing that today, are we? Comedians can't be funny anymore, so they just get filthy in their mouth, right? George Washington issued a statement to all military officers urging them to set an example and stop using profanity and vulgar language. Think about that. Vulgar and profane language have become the language of the people. And for the first time in the history of the American settlement, women were afraid to go out at night for fear of being assaulted. America, in the early days of its history, was in a terrible spiritual condition. The churches were evidence of this decline. The Methodists were losing more members than they were gaining, and so were the Baptists. The Presbyterians were suffering, suffering as well, issuing a statement condemning the nation's ungodliness. The Lutherans and Episcopalians were suffering so much that they considered uniting just to preserve their numbers. The Episcopal Bishop of New York, Bishop Samuel Provost, had gone so long without seeing a single convert to Christ that he left the ministry to pursue other employment. The Chief Justice of the United States, John Marshall, wrote to the Bishop of Virginia that he feared the church was too far gone to be redeemed. You think it's bad now? It's been bad before. Voltaire said Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. What's their praise of Jesus? Who's Voltaire? America's decline was also evident in his colleges and universities, also not new. Paul of the Harvard student body found not a single believer in the student body. A similar poll at Princeton found only two believers in their student body, and only five did not belong to the filthy speech movement of the day. And these are universities founded by pastors. 
New Jersey students took a Bible out of a local church and burned it in a public bonfire. Christians were so scarce on college campuses in the 1790s that they met in secret to avoid ridicule. Historian Kevin Scott Lorette wrote this, if it seemed as if Christianity was about to be ushered out of the affairs of men. The church had its back to a wall and it was on the verge of being wiped out. How did the situation change? It changed when the people of God began to pray. It began with one man, a Christian businessman named Jeremiah Lampier. He started a prayer meeting in the upper room of a Dutch Reformed church in Manhattan and he advertised all across the city, all over New York City advertised. We're having a prayer meeting. Guess what? It was amazing. Five people showed up. But the Bible says, despise not the days of small beginnings. They began to pray for God to touch the nation. And it's just as Samuel prayed for Israel at Mizpah, Lanthier prayed for America at Manhattan. Started with five people the following week, 14, and then 23 came, and they decided to meet every day. You know what? Let's forget this once a week stuff. Let's meet daily and pray. Soon they filled up the Dutch Reformed Church and then the Methodist Church on John Street, and they also filled up Trinity Episcopal on Broadway and Wall Street. By the next year, prayer meetings had spread throughout the entire city with thousands of people coming to Christ and gathering to pray. That's how you change your nation. The movement of God that began in New York City spread across this country in the height of the revival. More than a million Americans came to Christ. And it all started with one man who decided to pray. That day in Israel, they had given themselves fully to the pleasures of sin, and then they came to face to face fully with the consequences of sin. They desperately cried out to God. They repented of their sins, and they prayed, and God restored them. But a strange thing happened. As soon as they turned back to God, the devil got mad. The Philistines came after them. Listen, when you make the decision, I'm going to get back to God, I'm going to live right, I'm going to give everything to God, the devil's going to be mad because he's a sore loser. Don't be surprised when the enemy comes after you, but child of God, be encouraged because God's getting ready to show off in your life. The Philistines came, God defeated the enemy, they didn't even have to fight them. And Samuel called that place Ebenezer, which means rock of my help because God helped them there. Listen, God wants to take your life from Ichabod to Ebenezer. He wants to take you from the slavery of sin to the freedom of Jesus. He wants to take you from defeat to victory. But how do you get there? You come to God just as you are. You repent of your sins and allow Him to restore your life. Turn away from all the other gods you've been serving. Turn away from these hosts of other gods and serve the God who holds the one true God. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. He's the hope of humanity. And He's the hope of your life. Don't go another day under the bondage of sin. Put your faith in Jesus and He will set you free. We stand this morning as we pray. As you stand to your feet, let's just close our eyes for a moment in the presence of God. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of hope and you are the God of restoration. And God, I pray for those who are here today and they don't know you. God, I pray for those who have known you but they've fallen away from the faith.
God, they're in a backslidden state, just like Israel was, God, in the time of Ichabod. Lord, I thank you that you love them. I thank you, God, that even though you never wanted them to be where they are, they don't have to stay where they are because you have made a way back. You have given us Jesus as our hope, as our restoration. Lord, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot be ourselves. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And God, I pray that right now today, in this moment as we pray, that those who don't know you, God, would give their heart to you and trust you. God, to be their guide, to be their Lord, to be their Savior and their strength. God, I pray for those who have fallen away from the faith or who have lost their first love. God, that you would draw them to yourself this morning. That in this time of prayer and repentance, God, that you would do a work of restoration in them. Father, I thank you that this is a moment of healing. This is a moment of restoration. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing what only you can do. I thank you for restoring lives, even now, God, as we pray and as we seek you. God, I thank you for restoring lives, for breaking the power of sin, breaking the power of the past, breaking the power of addiction. God, I thank you, Lord, for healing and restoration, for revival in this place today. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer of surrender. I want you to pray with me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I will serve no other God but you. I give my life to you fully. Be the Lord of my life. Be my help. Be my guide. Be my strength. Be my way. Restore my life. Restore my joy. Restore my hope. Restore my peace. Hallelujah. Will you just worship God for a moment? Just lift up your hands. Let's cry out to the Lord. Father, I thank you for restoration this morning. I thank you, Lord, for healing today. I thank you, God, for the fire room of revival stirring in every heart this morning. God, I thank you. Lord, we want your glory. God, we don't ask anything of you. We just want you. We want your presence. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your glory. Lord, this world is in perilous times. And Lord, we're lifting up our eyes to you. You are our redeemer. You are our strength. You are our hope, our joy, our peace. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you.